Welcome to Breaking Baptist, a podcast where we rethink traditions in light of the Bible. I'm your host, Isaac Thibodeau. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about being Jesus-centered or gospel-centered. Um, this is a super important topic, and that's why I wanted to pick it for the first episode of this podcast. Um, being Jesus-centered or gospel-centered is really just so foundational to the Christian life. So although the Bible doesn't actually use that language of being Jesus-centered or gospel-centered, it's kind of a, a modern um, way of talking about things. Really, all we're saying when we're talking about being Jesus-centered is it means God, Jesus, is the absolute epicenter and focus of your life. He is the hub or the filter or the end goal. Like, he is everything to the Christian. And some someone might be thinking, maybe it kind of goes without saying that Jesus is the center of the Christian's life. Um, and it should. It, it should be obvious. We bear the name of Christ in the very name Christian. Um, but unfortunately, especially in our culture, to, to call yourself a Christian and to think you're a Christian can be pretty different from being Jesus-centered or gospel-centered, having God being the focus of your entire life. Um, so before we actually define what being Jesus-centered is, I want to contrast it with something. So I'm sure we either have been in this place before ourselves or know of other people in this place where they profess the name of Christ, they profess to be a Christian, um, but their lives kind of seem maybe out of joint. I know this is the case for me during my teenage years where I professed Christ, but my priorities and the things I did were really out of joint and out of line with what it means to be a Jesus follower. And being Jesus-centered and focusing on, on Christ is, is the way to recalibrate your heart and set those displaced joints back into their rightful place. So let's talk about being Jesus-centered. So there's a couple ways you could talk about this. Um, and we already talked to, to find it a little bit at the beginning, meaning Jesus is just the epicenter of your heart. But um, I think a really good verse to start with is John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So he's the way, the truth, the life. So basically, if we look at that verse... And there's many we could look at, but just look at that verse to see who Jesus is. So Jesus himself is the way. He is the way to the Father. He is the way people should be living. So his lifestyle is the one that every person should be emulating because he is the new human. He is the one who came in the image of God as the exact expression of his character and nature. So he is the one we are to emulate and he's our example. So to take from that, um, Jesus, being Jesus-centered means Jesus is your example. He's, he is the path that you follow. He says also that he's the truth. That means everything he is and everything he says is, is right. It is reality. Um, that, that means that he has, like, he's the ultimate authority. He, he should be our king. He should be the one that we listen to because he's truth. And if we say or think anything 
that is contradicting him, we are wrong. So he's our example, he's our king, and then he's the life, right? He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. So that means he is eternal life. He is the way to human flourishing. He is the way to eternal life without suffering and the way to perfection. And when I say without suffering, I mean in the ultimate sense, of course, uh, during this age, we will definitely go through sufferings as he himself said we would. But basically, we get from that that if Jesus is our life, that means he's our hope. So just to give three principles from the way, the truth, the life verse that we just read to define what being Jesus-centered is, basically, I would say this. That means Jesus is your king. So that means he's the Lord of your life. Whatever he says, you do. Whatever he says, don't do, you don't do. He's your example. So meaning you look at his life and what he teaches and you, you want to, as much as you can, live in line with that. And then he's your hope, meaning what he has done and who he is and the promises he has made. It's your ultimate hope and your, your affections and your desires are all directed towards him as the best thing in the universe. Um, there's a lot more you could say about that, and people might define it differently. But I think no matter how you define it as a Christian, you're going to get to that same core essence that it's all about Jesus. So let's break down Jesus-centered for a second, and we'll we'll define Jesus because that's really important, and and then we'll we'll touch on um, maybe some issues that can happen in our lives if we're not Jesus-centered. So first thing, let's let's make a differentiation between the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. The reason I want to make that differentiation, and many theologians do make that differentiation, is because Jesus is talked about by many other religions and many people who profess some sort of Christian uh, belief system, but it's kind of, it's, it's can either be radically different or partially different from the actual historic biblical Christianity. So Jesus, the person, he is the eternal son of God. He's the eternal son. So he has always existed. He is God incarnate. So when, when Jesus, God, the son became a man. That was his incarnation. He's fully God and fully man. Okay. Jesus also, this is the Jesus that died and rose again, according to the Old Testament scriptures. And this is also the Jesus that is reigning as king right now at the right hand of the father until his enemies are made his footstool and then he will return. So that is in a nutshell, the person of Jesus. So we're looking at his deity, his authority, um, his relationship to the Father. He's eternally the Son. And he's the one who died and rose again, and he's reigning as king. Okay? The reason we want to start with that is because everything Jesus does for the work of saving humanity is completely based upon who he is, as the son of God. If Jesus was not God and the eternal son of God and did not die and rise and reign, then none of his work of atonement, bearing our curse, giving us eternal life, none of that stuff 
would actually work and have any bearing on us because it is who he is that makes salvation possible. It's who God is that makes salvation possible. So we have to start there. And it's so important because you'll hear people like Oprah talk about Jesus. You'll hear Mormons talk about Jesus. You will hear Muslims talk about Jesus. And they are all, the way they would talk about Jesus is completely different in some respect or another, very different from the way Jesus is presented in the Holy Scriptures and not just that, but the way Jesus was understood by the earliest Christians and throughout the church as a whole. And I don't know about you, but I'm not about to be so arrogant to look at what the scriptures say and what the church has confessed for 2,000 years and think I know better. I'm going to yield to what the scriptures say and yield to what the church has said um, as a whole. And the reason I would yield to the church and what the church has confessed through the many creeds that we have about Jesus is because two reasons. Number one, I think it's very clearly rooted in Scripture, and Scripture is the ultimate authority. But number two, Jesus did say that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. His church is is always going to prevail against the gates of hell. And I can't think of uh, a more terrible way for the gates of hell to prevail against the church than for the church to be wrong about who their God is and who Jesus is. So, I, I don't buy for a second that the church that has confessed the, the Trinity and the, the deity of Christ and all these things is wrong. I, I believe the church is right because it's rooted in Scripture, and Scripture says the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. That doesn't mean there isn't going to be problems in the church as a whole and false doctrine that comes in um, that obviously happens. But fundamentally, the church as a whole, the Christian body that is in line with the apostles— is not going to believe uh, in a totally different God. Like, if, if you said Jesus is God, or you said Jesus isn't God, like, those are two different things. Like, either he is or he's not. So the church has confessed that he is, that he's the eternal son of God, he's the God incarnate, he's died, risen, and he's reigning right now, and will reign again, um, more physically, tangibly, for us to see when he comes back, sets up the new creation. So that's the person of Jesus, um, and that that is absolutely foundational. So we need, if we're going to be Jesus-centered, we need we need to know who we're, who this Jesus is, who we're talking about. It's not just Oprah's Jesus. This is the Jesus of the apostles, of the Bible, of the early church, of the Christian church as a whole. This is that Jesus. Next, Jesus's work. So there's lots of stuff that Jesus did for the sake of humanity and to glorify his Father. Um, but just to mention a few. Uh, probably the biggest thing that we think of is Jesus provided atonement for our sins. So if you're not familiar with what the Bible teaches about uh, humanity and human condition, uh, we are sold under sin. We love sin. And sin is anything that um, is in rebellion to what God wants and God's character. And it's a condition before it is an action. So we are cursed with this condition of sin um, that has come to us through Adam, through his disobedience. We're cursed with this condition, and out of that condition, every human who has ever lived, aside from Jesus, um, sins. Every human sins. 
And that's a problem because God is holy and he must judge evil. And we are evil because of our actions. Even though we might not feel it sometimes, and if we compare ourselves to other people, we might not feel as evil. But when we compare ourselves to the holy God and the holy God revealed in Jesus Christ, um, we see how evil we really are and how not in line we are with God's commands. So Jesus had to come and make atonement. He had to come and pay our price to redeem us by the shedding of his own blood. And God the Father wasn't mean in killing God the Son and having humanity kill God the Son either. Um, This was the plan of God from all eternity, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit had, had planned from all eternity to happen. The son willingly submitted to this. And it's very clear in the garden um, of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying before he's betrayed by Judas and, um, and crucified that Jesus is submitting to the Father's will for this to happen. Jesus knew this was going to happen. He knew he was born to die. Um, and, and it's clear that he had a heart of submission throughout this whole process, which is awesome to see. So Jesus made atonement for our sin. Uh, that's that's number one. Um, he bore the curse of our sin. So you see the curse of creation, um, that there would be thorns and um, that we would surely die. Jesus bore the curse of dying himself. And, and just think about the fact that thorns were part of the curse. And what was Jesus crowned with? He was crowned with a crown of thorns. He was crowned with our curse. And that was his coronation ceremony as king was being crowned with that crown of thorns and that robe of purple being put over him and him being exalted and lifted up on a cross through humiliation and having that sign that says, here's Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Like this is his coronation. He's being lifted up for all people to see, but in humiliation, not in glorification, not yet. At his resurrection, that's when we see that. But it's just so beautiful to see what he did there and, and bearing that curse so that we don't have to bear the curse uh, of death anymore. Um, those, those who believe in Christ um, experience an, an inner resurrection um, called the new birth. And anyone who has been born of God will inherit the kingdom of God and will not face eternal death. We will have eternal life. When we die in this world, we will be with God forever. And then return with him and be raised from the dead physically at Jesus's return when he sets up new creation. It's awesome stuff. Um, so there's a lot more we could say about that, but I'll, I'll just stop there as far as Jesus's work is concerned and just think about that. So all of those things, his atonement and his curse bearing and giving us eternal life, that's all based on who he is as the son of God and being God himself, having died, risen, and reigning. So that is so key to understanding what it means to be Jesus-centered, because centered in this case would mean um, he is the very, like the core of our life. Everything we think and we do, and we desire, it should be based on Jesus. Um, and it's not going to be perfect, but it, it means like, that's our goal. <clears throat> and, that's, and we take steps for that. So we need to know who Jesus is and what he's done in order for that to happen. So just to briefly talk about this, what, what this would look like is that means as you go throughout your life, the, the plans that you are making revolve around who Jesus is first. The, the plans that you're making revolve around what Jesus's priorities are. 
not your priority. So if you have a priority to um, to join the military, or you have a priority to um, pursue this career, that career, or that relationship, whatever it is, um, you need to first, before you make any decision, look to the word of Christ, look to his word, and seek counsel from those who are serious about Christ, like your pastors and anyone else that is serious about Christ, and just submit to the word of God. And secondarily, underneath that, submit to the authorities that God has placed in your life that um, are speaking wisdom. And you need to make sure that the trajectory you're taking your life is for the sake of Jesus's glory, to make Jesus known to the nations and to exalt him. Because if you are not doing that, then you are treating yourself as God. If Jesus isn't your Lord, someone is. And if it's not Jesus, it's you. So make Jesus your Lord, make him your king, make him the center of your hope, and you will find true joy and satisfaction when you sin. This is the other thing. When you sin, when you mess up, because we all will, um, even as Christians, when we sin, the cool part is that guilt has been borne by Christ. So when we sin, when we fail, we can run to Jesus. We can run to him and say, God, I know that I've messed up, but thank you for your sacrifice for me. And I know that because of your blood, I have been forgiven. Because of your death, I've been forgiven. And because of your resurrection, I have hope. And I'm, I'm a new person. I no longer am identified with my sin anymore. I'm identified as a follower of Jesus. And man, that's that's why baptism is so important, right? Baptism gives us that physical expression of that new identity that we have in Christ. It's that physical ceremony that that really ratifies that and makes that tangible for us to see. It's awesome stuff. Um, so that's just kind of a brief explanation of being Jesus-centered and who Jesus is and, and, and all that and what that would kind of look like practically. But what happens if we're not Jesus-centered? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, um, we will become moralistic. Here's what I mean. Um, if Jesus is not the focus of your life, but you still want to be a Christian, if the gospel is not the focus of your life, but you still want to be a Christian, and whatever that means, because I don't know what a Christian would be aside from being Jesus-centered and gospel-centered, but nonetheless, what'll happen is you'll get moralistic. You'll look at the teachings of the Bible and the teachings of Jesus and think, oh yeah, that looks really good, and I think I could follow that. I think that's a good way to live your life. And you'll focus on those things, um, but totally miss the power of the word, which is the gospel itself, what Jesus has done. So if you focus on the Ten Commandments, for example, like, hey, you know, um, honor your parents, love people, treat everyone right, those are all good things. Don't steal, don't murder, right? We all agree on this. Problem is, um, if that's all you talk about, you just talk about Bible stories and you talk about these things we should and shouldn't do, because that's the Christian way, you're totally missing the point. It's, we can't do that. We can't keep the law. We can't do it. That's why Jesus had to come. We can't be perfect. We can't keep God's law. That's why Jesus had to come and keep it for us and give us his righteousness. 
give us his goodness so that we can be legally declared as righteous and then the Holy Spirit will come and actually make us righteous um, over time, which is called sanctification. And he will make us like Jesus and start living transformed lives at that point. But if we don't submit to Jesus and believe in who he is and what he's done, and instead we're just looking to ourselves to keep this set of rules or standards, whatever they might be, and however good they might be, we're completely missing the point and we are, we're walking in death and not in life. So you can be moralistic. Not everyone goes that route though. There's another route and that would be more of a hedonistic route. If Jesus isn't the center of your life, um, instead of being really rigorous with morals and forgetting that you're a failure in, in light of the gospel, uh, you could also become hedonistic. And that would be, if you don't know what hedonism is, it, it means that the ultimate purpose of your life is pleasure. Um, now, in a sense, there's something called Christian hedonism, which kind of sounds like a contradiction in terms, but really what it, it's getting at is Jesus you find God as your ultimate pleasure and therefore you seek God, which is absolutely a biblical thing. But here, when we were talking about hedonism, we're talking about in the secular or the worldly sense where you're just pursuing pleasure in general. So this could happen if someone has a vague understanding of the fact that what Jesus did forgives you of your sin and therefore you live carefree, thinking, oh, it doesn't really matter if I mess up, it's all covered by grace, right? Um, and you'll just live to pursue your own desires and your pleasures. Um, and that is devastating and so wrong because that shows that that person really does not understand who Jesus is. Because if you truly understand who Jesus is and you believe in who he is and you count yourself as needing him, then you are never going to be consistently hedonistic in your life and pursuing pleasure um, all the time. You might have a season of that, of course. Um, obviously, we, uh, we're all at different stages in our growth and understanding of the gospel, but overall, like that is just not a Christian thing. So you could be a Christian, possibly, and be living in that lifestyle for a little bit. I don't know how long God's the judge of that, but the point is that um, that is that characteristic of hedonism is not Christian. It is inconsistent with Christianity because Jesus is is because of what he's done, it changes us. Like it makes you not want to sin. Like he makes you not want to sin because of what he's done and the work that he does in you. When you believe in who he is and confess your sin and you call out to him, he gives you the gift of his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and changes us. Um, and again, whole point of baptism here. Like, man, if, if we would just get through our heads, like, man, like we've been, we've died with Christ and we've been raised with Christ. We are new creatures. Why would we pursue the pleasures of this world that will fade and moth and rust will corrupt when we can pursue the pleasure of being with Almighty God and obeying him? Like there is pleasure in obeying him. When we keep his commandments, when we give to the poor, when we meet the needs of the saints, when we share the gospel with people, when we love our family self-sacrificially, the joy of God just springs up in our hearts. His commandments are a joy for us because we know that even when we fail, we are forgiven in the, and we are counted as having never failed because Jesus never failed and we're counted with his righteousness. And that is the bedrock foundation for our ability to be righteous, practically speaking, to actually obey God 
is because we're counted as righteous apart from our works, we are now able to actually do works of righteousness. Not for our glory, but for the glory of God, and we couldn't do it without him. It's awesome stuff. Uh, a couple other things. Um, if Jesus is not the center of your life, you're going to be a poor witness. Because if you if your life isn't pointing to the fact that Jesus is the absolute most valuable thing in the universe, then when you are trying to share the gospel with people, or just in general, when usually usually if Jesus isn't the center of your life, you're not going to be sharing the gospel with people. Um, but you know, if you do, people aren't going to take you seriously because they're going to be like, well, why are you telling me to follow Jesus as my king if it looks like you don't really even enjoy doing that yourself? Um, so that, that's a problem, right? Um, other thing is, man, you're going to be joyless. If Jesus is not the center of your life, you're not going to have joy. You might have temporary little fits of happiness or whatever, but it's always going to fade because those things aren't eternal. But Jesus is eternal. Moth and rust will never corrupt Christ. Moth and rust will never corrupt the kingdom of God, the reign of Christ. So he needs to be where you're finding your joy and then obeying him and loving him and just cherishing and meditating on him. That is to be our joy as Christians. And if we do anything less than that, if we think and pursue anything less than that, we will be joyless because we're staking our hope on something that is not eternal and cannot bear the weight of human hope. Because those things were never meant to. There's an old saying, and it's really cheesy, but I think there's some truth to it. There's, in, in humanity, in the human heart, there's a God-shaped hole in your heart. Uh, kind of like if you imagine a puzzle, and like at the center of the puzzle, there's this big piece missing. And it's kind of like the, the center of it all. It's the puzzle piece that that all the other puzzle pieces revolve around. And without it, it's just not a complete picture. It's like that with, with Christ. Like God, Jesus, is supposed to be the center of our life. He's supposed to be that center puzzle piece that all the other pieces are fit together based on. And man, if you don't have Jesus as the center of your life, then that puzzle is just not going to make sense to you. And it's not going to be a complete image. And you're going to, your, your joy is going to be stolen. It's going to be gone. So that's a little bit of what it, um, what it would be like to have Jesus at the center of your life. Um, there's obviously a lot more we can say and probably will in future episodes. So thanks for listening to Breaking Baptist. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show and leave a review.